welcome to our final Sourced Weekly Review podcast for 2021. I look back at the year rather than the week this time. My name's Michael Crutcher, joined as always by Jordan McDonald. Jordan, welcome. Hi, Michael. Here we go, 2021. The year that was. <laughs> and we can't do a year in review without talking about COVID, of course, what Definitely. we've learned about audience engagement during COVID times. So we go into Christmas... We've definitely moved on since this time last year, but in a different way. We seem to talk a bit about this, don't we, Jordan, every little so often in these podcasts about what we learned from COVID. It's the, one of the greatest experiments in audience engagement that we've ever seen, just looking at the way people are interacting and the way messaging is happening all the time and the responses of people. It's been a fascinating ride. I guess one thing in looking back on this year is that, to me consumers are starting to regain their voice and their confidence to levels we sort of saw before COVID came. And we'd spoken for a long time about how audiences over the time have gained the control. It's the, it's the era of the power of the consumer, as we've said. So, and I go back to when I was younger and uh, you'd have the TV program from the Sunday paper mm-hmm. and you keep that in the lounge room every week because that told you what was on TV, what you could watch out of the five channels that you had. Yeah. And you had your video recorder there if you wanted to maybe record something and watch it. But you were beholden to whatever those TV stations had on to what you wanted to watch. So um, you were old enough to remember some of this. Yes, yes. Just. (laughs) Just. Just. Only just. Just. And, of course, if you wanted to catch up on the TV, on the news for the day, you had to watch the TV news at 6 o'clock. Yep. So that was re- – the power didn't belong to the consumer. The power belonged to the broadcasters, the publishers, who gave you the information when they thought it was a good time. But as we've seen, you can now watch what you want to watch, when you want to watch it. You don't need the TV news at 6 o'clock to know what's happening. You can follow it in real time. So the power has gone to the consumer. And then we saw when COVID hit, I think, we saw a time when people suddenly thought – this thing's way bigger than our mm. knowledge base and the experts have the knowledge here and the lockdowns came and we know because of the way that we've seen elections since this time of state governments return, the ones making lockdown rulings, etc. There seemed to be a flocking back to big government as in we trust you to help us out on this situation. Yep. I just think now that as we come to the end of this year, the consumers are regaining their voice a bit. We're seeing now that governments are saying lockdowns are hopefully a thing of the past. Hopefully, yes. Said that, <laughs> that's right. So I think that we're seeing this, the consumers going, okay, we've got the confidence now. We think we know enough about this virus to start being bold with our own choices. But I guess one of the ways that we see this, Jordan, is on social media. And we see these trends and observations on social media. What have been your observations of that COVID response in communications? From a social media perspective, so there were numerous trends that I I saw this year. I mean, online shopping, they skyrocketed for all people staying at home. Working from home was essentially normal. But I think... The most notable trends sort of emerged in that Gen Z millennials uh, brackets. Um, So there were three key trends that stood out for me. The first one was that science content was shareworthy, which in the past there really wasn't a thing. That was (laughs) very much. It was. It's previously been dominated by sort of funny, entertainment content. 
So people on social media were sharing scientific content and dropping those scientific terms into normal conversations. Absolutely, too. news is using all the terminology that they are that the doctors are using. So, like you said, we've almost become experts throughout the course of this pandemic to some degree, obviously. Yes, it's trendy to drop in terms that for someone like me who failed grade nine science, you can pretend you get away with knowing things about science. Yes, exactly right. So the World Health Organization did a global study of some of the outcomes of the pandemic online. Um, So we found that they were posting, well, sorry, science content was more shareworthy. So in the millennials and the Gen Z in particular, 43% of the respondents said they'd post scientific content if they're posting anything COVID-related. The second trend that I noticed was our awareness of fake news is very high. So most users on social media are very good at spotting the fake news or misinformation. And it's a skill we've all developed during the years of the pandemic. However, when we encounter that misinformation... More often than not, we ignore it. We don't do anything to prevent it. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. We so let it pass through. I think, yeah, for most people, it's it's easier to ignore than risk getting attacked by all the anti-vaxxers that typically bombard some of these posts with their perspectives. Um, I think to, to challenge that information on social media or to challenge misinformation is a bit, um, is a bit of a task that yep. not many want to take on. Yeah. And then the last of the trends that I noticed was the Gen Zs and Millennials are far more worried than you'd think. So these generations often cop it for being careless about most things, but <laughs> the, the data from that World Health Organization study actually suggests quite the opposite. The uh, study found that 90% of respondents were very concerned about being infected with COVID Nearly 60% were very concerned about their friends or family getting infected and 55% concerned concerned about the economy crashing. So here they are sitting with all this weight on their shoulders, very concerned about it. You know, they're sort of navigating the the wave of information that comes constantly on social media, um, fearful of combating any misinformation. They're, they're very worried about the pandemic and what it can So I guess they are getting a lot of that through their social media feeds, aren't they? Because that's yeah. the primary information source for them. That's it. And this age girl, these, these two generation groups here, are, I think are going to be pretty critical to how we navigate COVID uh, out of the pandemic. Sorry. Uh, they're also the group that's challenged the vaccine the most. So when, you, when your peers like that it, it would be very difficult to to challenge to challenge that online and just in general so that is true yeah. we've seen that age group the 18 to 25s they can be in different anecdotal places mm. have been the ones who have been most likely to walk away from jobs now that the mandate's in in certain areas and we know that some examples in the music industry of that who've just gone sorry i'm out of here so that 18 to 25 group yeah that does play out yeah, exactly right. They are the, the the misinformation on Facebook is everywhere, and this group really tunes into it, given they spend the most amount of time on social media. So it it makes sense to me why there's a lot in that in this particular age bracket that are questioning it and making it hard. Another thing this year to look at the year in review TV, say TV, and I guess did TV change at all? We started the year. Looking at a couple of questions and 
free-to-air TV in particular being all about sport and reality TV. And we, at the start of the year, spoke about what would happen with sports broadcast deals post-COVID. Would these mega sports broadcast deals um, start to fall away because of economic issues, etc.? And would there be something other than reality shows that would come to help out free-to-air TV? I guess we get to the end of 2021 and the answer is it's pretty much what we thought it would be that's the same. And this week, the NRL and Channel 9 seems to have come to terms for a new agreement for the National Rugby League competition and Mm. it's a deal which gets things back to pre-pandemic levels. So the NRL can say, I think, the mooted figure is 115 million wow. a year in cash and 15 million in contra. Massive. So that's to run through till 2027. So again, sport rules in terms of um, TV and what it can show audiences, mm-hmm. and people will come and watch sport on free-to-air TV. We know that it's working on streaming as well, and since you can go there and do streaming, so. That's part of it. But that deal is locked in. The AFL's got a deal locked in for um, next season and beyond as well. So it seems that TV is still very strong for sport. Um, Interesting too, I mean, there were suggestions that Channel 10 was a a key player uh, in wanting to get a slice of rugby league, but it didn't happen in the end going back to nine. I wonder too whether the power brokers on the rugby league side looking at this wondered whether... 10 didn't have big enough audiences to give them the mm. extra value they need in terms of advertising and just getting awareness of the game up there. Right. So okay. I wonder if that's a factor. But reality TV, you know more about this than me. So, Jordan, what are your thoughts on reality TV from 2021 and TV in general as you look back on the uh, year in review? I think reality TV shows are here to stay. I mean, we looked at the top... We Sorry, we spoke about the top 20 broadcasts actually in a recent episode of Our Week in Review and reality TV featured a fair bit in that list. People are just fascinated by other people, particularly when they're explosive, combative or confrontational, (laughs) which tends to be the key ingredients (laughs) for all these reality TV shows. That's right. Um, uh, We spoke about The Bachelor a while back and how that flopped. I think people are signalling that that model for that show is, is done. I think. So do you think they've seen it, they know it, and they're a bit tired of the whole concept? I do, I do, I do think so. And there, there wasn't really much of a draw to watch. Again, I mean, the pilot, I, I, I don't know what his background is beyond that, but he wasn't a massive draw card for them. Brooke Burton, she was better for The Bachelorette. But I think with The Bachelor and the Olympics being... At the same time, I think it's taking eyes away as well. So that would have made it even harder. The Olympics, you're right. Yeah, I I think the Olympics stole most of the eyes there. But even without the Olympics, I still think The Bachelor would have struggled. You're right about The Bachelor because it's been around now, is it, almost 20 years. It's a long time for a a reality TV show. That's gone fast, hasn't it? So that's a long time to keep the same concept going. It is. And I think The Bachelor too is struggling because new shows focused around love and relationships has have emerged. So Love Island is the one that's really taken uh, taken centre stage. And it's uh, it's it's refreshed. It's a it's a different format. Um, 
and there's more episodes, longer episodes, and you can watch them without ads through their streaming platforms. So, again, it's back to the consumer. They, they can pick when they want to watch it and they prefer to watch it. And there's plenty of streaming to watch as well. Plenty. There. Plenty. So they have all the previous seasons up there. So if you've just come into Love Island this year, well, you've got plenty to go back and watch <laughs> as well. <laughs> Become That's a right. diehard fan. So reality is here to say just the concept will determine what makes successful TV and what doesn't. Yeah, I think so. What about Facebook and social media, Jordan? It's a regular part of our Week in Review. We look back at social media in 2021 and we can't look back at that without talking about Facebook, which becomes meta. But we spent a fair bit of time on this podcast talking about Facebook this year. How was the year for Facebook? I think it has been a bad year for Facebook. Now, although they've posted enormous profits in the last quarter, it was 28 billion US, which is a massive amount of money. I think the company is really working quite hard behind closed doors to work out out how they move forward. It felt like Facebook was in the news almost every day this year, scrambling from one crisis to another. Then Frances Haugen, she blew the whistle, which really exposed Facebook quite poorly. The Facebook files and the Facebook papers, they emerged off the back of her, her whistleblow. And then we found that Facebook was harmful to teenagers, rewarded misinformation and then turned a blind eye to some high-profile accounts. One of the major concerns for Facebook towards the end of the year is realising that they could miss out on a whole generation of users, particularly young people, simply because they're just not interested in the platform at all. They've gone elsewhere. So they've gone to TikTok, they've gone to Snapchat, Instagram. They're just not there and Facebook is worried about that. Young people perceive Facebook as an old person's platform now (laughs) and it's pretty hard to get young people back after that. So I think there's a lot wrong with Facebook and we've seen a lot of it this year. And even though they sit under this, the umbrella now that's meta, I think they've, uh, they have a long way to go to repair uh, some of the, the, the public perception. So there's a bit of the Bachelor about that. The Bachelor's been around 20 years, Facebook not yeah. so long, but how do you keep yourself fresh and relevant to generations that you're right, there's so many things that come up quickly and get their attention. But yeah, Facebook's got that challenge. I guess, you know, it's handy when you've got Instagram as well. But there is a challenge there for Facebook, isn't there, about how it makes itself relevant for that generation? It is. And I think the metaverse was, a, was a, an attempt at that. I mean, the internet as a, as a whole is moving in that direction. Web 3.0 and metaverse, they're now becoming terms fairly common. Um, but I think the metaverse and Facebook's success in metaverse is going to really hang off whether or not people can trust and rely on Facebook to do the right thing. I see, uh, the moment, the, the trust has been damaged constantly. Every time there's another, there's another hit somewhere. Uh, and to give more of yourself to the platform in a completely online universe is just, I think, I think the, the bridge, the gap is just too big at the moment. I'd be fascinated if we could fast forward right now to our 2022 year in review, go forward 12 months, what we'll be saying about the metaverse then because we keep hearing about this. We've heard about mm-hmm. this type of technology for some time, but that's what we've heard about. It's just we're hearing it, we're not seeing it. So exactly. 
what happens there, I think, will be a, a massive thing. So all of these rapidly changing times, but then there's still room for an old-fashioned way to grab attention as we <laughs> close up this year in review. And it's a fresh one. It's something from this week, and it is a newspaper obituary from the US from El Paso, which has become a viral one. It just goes to show that through all this technology and all these metaverse and virtual reality, sometimes someone can just write an obituary about one of their family members and <laughs> off it goes. So this one comes from the US, as I said, written by the son of Renee Mandel Corrin, whose words about his mum <laughs> are unique. Yes. His obituary starts, Renee Mandel Corrin, a plus-size Jewish lady redneck, died in El Paso on Saturday. He <laughs> describes his mum in many different ways. Uh, hers was a bawdy, rowdy life, lived large, broken, loud. Um Here's what Renee was great at, dyeing her red roots, weekly manicures, dirty jokes, peer fishing, rolling joints and buying dirty magazines. <laughs> so he's really uh, put his mum here in a very unique way. And yes. Yes, he did uh, urge um, people to celebrate his mother's life uh, there will be a memorial in May next year, which will be on her 85th birthday. This will be a very disrespectful and totally non-denominational memorial on May 10, 2022, most likely at a bowling alley in Fayetteville, North Carolina. <laughs> Family requests absolutely zero privacy. <laughs> no privacy, yes. <laughs> I read that. Uh, or propriety, none whatsoever. And encourages you to spend some government money today on a one-armed bandit at the blackjack table or on a cheap cruise to find our inheritance. She spent it all, folks. She left me nothing but these <laughs> lousy memories. Um, oh, man. You can still do it, can't you? Oh, it's fantastic. Something I love just it. basic. It is. Amid all that stuff. So, yes, if you spare a thought for the family of uh, Ms. Corrin there, they've um, <laughs> certainly sent their loved one off in style. Uh, Jordan, we're sending 2021 off. As well, it's been great to have your company this year. Likewise. On our podcast, we'll be back uh, with our first week in review in early January. Yeah. And we'll look ahead then to 2022 because I think there will be some things to discuss about what happens in these next yes, 12 months. Be plenty. So until then, have a great break. Have a Merry you Christmas. You too, you too. Thank you, will do. And we'll see you in a few weeks. See you then.